0: I want to test something really quick and see if uh, if this will work. Can I can I get an amen? amen. And I'm, I mean, I am talking to those of you who are watching us live online too. I want to see if I can like. I know there's a delay. I get that part, um, but also just want to see if people are responding. If people do respond on this on this format, it's. I feel like this is just different for me in general. I had uh, the opportunity last week to join our brothers and sisters in Renton, and they're actually gathering together. I have a group of people. Thank you, Sylvia. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Tabitha. Ah, It's good to be here. So I was there in Renton last week, and they um, have people who are gathering for worship, um, they just have the space and the capacity to do that right now, and, uh, they're taking the necessary precautions, so it was fun to be with them and to preach over there, um, and I, so this is, this format, even though I've been with you here at West Seattle and we've been joining with Seattle First Church, um, to preach in this way is, is still kind of, it's particularly awkward for me, I feel that, and maybe, um, Pastor Sean and Pastor Mark already know that feeling, those of you who have been doing this for months on end, um, I get to join in with you in that kind of strange way to try and engage and connect via the camera, via the phone, and uh, may God help us all, right? Um, What a gift, I think, in this particular season to enter into community in a fresh way. I really, really believe that what we're doing right now is good. Um... What a time to be alive in the spirit and to be pushed out of our routines, right? The routines that we became accustomed to. And I think um, as I was preparing for this morning, I just want to encourage all of us to be careful that this routine that we're creating, that we're entering into so that we can continue to gather and connect, doesn't become the next routine, the next we're just going to be doing this, right? But that part of us engaging and connecting and listening um, we really are trying to be present to the, the Spirit of God that is at work in our lives and in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our city. Um, I'm not sure if the text is going to be up on the screen this morning, um, but if you have a Bible with you or if you can find it, if you're watching on your phone, then find another device to maybe pull up the scripture online or it's in some format. And turn with me to the book of Acts, which we are continuing in. And we're going to go to the eighth chapter, and we're going to read, actually, from verse uh, two. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful um, for your word, for scripture, for uh, the physician Luke who recorded these words and was curious and investigated and asked about these stories so that we might have them today, so that we might understand, so that we might see. And we pray that your spirit would indeed come into this place and into our homes and into our lives, that you would illuminate um, this text for us, but also illuminate the ways forward so that we might continue to proclaim your goodness in our city, that this might be a city full of joy too. We ask these things in your holy and good name. Amen. The parallel between Jesus, pull this over here real quick. The parallel between Jesus and Stephen that, um, it was drawn by the pastors in the panel last week is, I think, just really on point. And as the scene changes, right, as we're imagining this as a TV show, as Pastor Sean has led us to think about this drama unfolding kind of like we're watching some kind of television show, This Is Us, right, something like that. Um, as the scene changes from last week, uh, we need to hold on to that point that the pastors made last week. I I missed being a part of that panel, and I just thought the discussion was so good. Um, We hold on to this point of this parallel between Stephen and Jesus uh, because it's going to help us see what the Spirit is now doing in this next passage. Jesus tells his disciples earlier on, in John, we read this, John sixteen seven. but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. As soon as Stephen is stoned to death, Luke wants us to know that Paul totally endorses this. And I mean, that's some kind of next level creepy stuff, right? He's standing there, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and one taught by Gamaliel, who I think last week it was Pastor Terry, who highlighted the tension between the posture of Gamaliel and the position of Paul. We as a community of believers here in Seattle and who are uh, reading through this text together in this season, I want us to hold onto that image of Paul standing there, giving approval, With this as a very dark portrait and portrayal of the apostle that in the next couple of chapters, we're going to see his own transformation, right? Um, But here we have Paul giving approval to the public murder of a man who, if we're reading scripture correctly, I think, we see Stephen as Christ-like. In a similar way to the crucifixion of Jesus, the stoning of Stephen causes people to be scattered right? In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus is arrested, and then Mark tells us this. He says, then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Those first disciples, before they were apostles, they ran and hid and were scattered. And in a parallel way, the stoning and murder of Stephen incites a persecution so horrible, it scatters the Jerusalem church. All except the apostles flee the city and go into the regions of Judea and Samaria. The believers are not safe. They just watched one of their leaders get stoned to death. Persecutions move them out of their own homes. It pushes them into other places. And I think we can think about the many reasons why people get scattered today in our own world. What the reasons why people have to leave the home they have known or the home that they've created. What I find compelling and different in this scattering is that now endowed with God's Holy Spirit, these disciples who are scattered, they take the gospel with them. In contrast to those first disciples being scattered after Jesus is arrested and then crucified, hiding in fear, these believers leave or go or maybe they even begin to reimagine what is happening to them in the moment as being sent or commissioned. And although they have legitimate reason to be afraid, they continue to proclaim the Messiah. They don't opt out. They don't say, well, I guess that church is folding, so we should try and find a comfortable place in this world and try and ride it out till Jesus comes back. No, instead, they go and they proclaim to whoever will listen that the Messiah has indeed come and that the Spirit of God is now available to whoever will believe. And this is where we are reintroduced to Philip, who we know is one of the chosen seven, called into servant leadership alongside of Stephen. Philip somehow finds himself in Samaria. Good old Samaria. It's hard for me to read this story of Samaria and Philip and not think of Jesus at the well. Right? Uh, As modern-day readers of the gospel story and the New Testament as a whole, we are already prepared or prepped to think of God's kingdom breaking into the lives of Samaritans. We know, because of John's gospel, that God is for Samaritans, right? Jesus at the well encounters a Samaritan woman and says, he says to this lady, woman, believe me, And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Philip is led, taken, he goes, is sent, I don't know, however we want to frame that, to Samaria. And he tells those there about Jesus Messiah. Miraculously, they listen, and they're set free from evil spirits, and they're healed of their disease. And Luke tells us this, so there was great joy in that city. The invitation to worship in spirit and in truth has now come in the preaching of Philip. The people received it with joy, but for some reason, they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 14 with me, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria, When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What is going on here? That's a good question. I appreciate how Willie James Jennings, who is an associate professor of systematic theology and Africanist studies at Yale, puts this in perspective in his commentary. He says, The delay of the Spirit was not for a defect of faith or of life for the Samaritans. Could it be that God waited for Peter and John so that they could watch the intimate event? Oh, I love that question. Could it be? Here and now, he goes on, these disciples, especially Peter, will see a love that extends into the world. They will watch as God stretches forth divine desire over the Samaritans. They must see again the spirit descend and sense afresh the divine embrace of the flesh. Disciples of Jesus must be convinced Not only of God's love for the world, but also God's desire for people, especially people we have been taught not to desire. Wow. That is a lot right there. I think we can get this wrong in the church. I think we have gotten this wrong in some parts of our church, or in the church, I mean like Big C Universal Church. Um where there have been parts of the Christian church that have used this particular text and this story to demonstrate the necessity of a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is initiated through the laying on of hands by an elder, by a bishop, or some kind of leadership. As though, as if, it is somehow the power vested in the leadership that allows for the Spirit to descend. Following me? No, I... And I say this with great respect and admiration for our brothers and sisters who practice Christian faith in a manner different from myself and from our tribe. Although I hold the Catholic Church and our Pentecostal brothers and sisters in really high regard, I do not believe that God withholds his spirit from anyone who through genuine surrender places their faith and their life in Christ's hands. As if being baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus is not powerful enough. And with a nod to the conversation that the panel had last week about creating space within our community or our communities of faith to have healthy debate and healthy dialogue and even disagreement, like we don't all have to land in the same spot at the same time, right? But I also think it's important for us to frame scripture and the stories that we're entering into and considering, looking at it from all perspectives, and then trying to find the most faithful reading that keeps in alignment with the whole body of literature, with the whole of scripture, and with the character of God that has already been revealed thus far. So I agree with Jennings that what we witness in this story is another act of God's Holy Spirit drawing those who have been divided together to discover their oneness in the spirit and their unity in Christ, to discover that they are all indeed members of one body. Samaritans and Jews, Hellenistic and Hebraic men and women, the spirit is continually at work, not just breaking down barriers, but drawing people together. Anglican priest John Stott writes this The most natural explanation of the delayed gift of the Spirit is that this was the first occasion on which the gospel had had been proclaimed not only outside of Jerusalem, but inside Samaria. The gospel had been welcomed by the Samaritans, but would the Samaritans be welcomed by the Jews? Or would there be separate factions of Jewish Christians and Samaritan Christians? in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is interesting. In his commentary on Acts, Stott quotes Calvin. I just, I think it's interesting. And this is what Calvin says. There was a real danger of their tearing Christ apart, or at least of forming a new and separate church for themselves. That last part is kind of funny because this is one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, right? Where the modern church begins to split. And I hear, I think this is something for us as the church today to consider. We can, as a church, continue to split and divide ourselves over important points of theology and practice, or we can continue to unite ourselves over the most important parts of theology and practice. However, we want to understand this story in Acts, how, whichever way we come to, at the end of the day, what happened in Samarita, Samaria and with the Samaritans, we have to ultimately get to this place where Samaritans are included. They matter. You tired of hearing that? Joy has come to their city, to their region, and God is moving. The progression of Acts is that the kingdom of God begun in Christ Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit is going to spread. It will break out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the world. And that brings us back to the anchor statement that Jesus leaves his disciples with as he's ascending into heaven. We read in Acts 1:8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Many of you know my former colleagues and co-pastors at Normandy Park Living Hope, Pastors John and Margaret Scott. They served the Church of the Nazarene as global missionaries for most of their ministry. And um, in my time with them, they really helped me think about uh, that verse in uh, Acts chapter 1 that I just read in relationship to my own geographical location. So they would ask people where their Jerusalem is. Like, where are you from? Where are you currently standing? Where are your feet planted? And then, what would you consider or what would be your Samaria today? See, I was born and raised in this city. um, And most parts of Seattle, I know really well. And sure, there are neighborhoods that I'm less familiar with, but that's because I've never had the need or the desire to enter into those spaces, places. My people weren't there. My work wasn't there. My school wasn't there. Are there places in your life that you avoid like your life depended on it? Or it doesn't even have to be that dramatic. Maybe you just don't go to certain places because you don't need to. We inhabit spaces in our own city that are comfortable and safe and familiar, and we live in our own little bubbles. And in the world where COVID-19 is a reality, that's perfectly fine and acceptable. But the kingdom of God desires the other that lives in that part of town that you never step foot in. I had, uh, to take my stepmom this week to the PacMed Center there on Madison and Capitol Hill. Uh, she had some routine doctor's appointments and, uh, I waited outside for her while she had her appointment. Since the appointment was going to be a couple of hours, I had the opportunity to walk around that neighborhood. It's not a neighborhood that I regularly go to. I don't have anything in that neighborhood that, uh, I have responsibilities to or just interest in going in. Um, when I was in high school and college, I spent a lot of time walking on Broadway, meeting up with friends for coffee, um, going shopping there. But these days, I don't really have a desire to go into that part of the city, and that has nothing to do with recent protests. In fact, the recent happenings in that part of town has actually piqued my curiosity. So. I took a walk around the neighborhood and circled uh, Cal Anderson Park. I walked up Madison, went all the way up to, I don't know what that street is. It was on the, on the east side of Cal Anderson, and then walked all the way up north uh, by the community college and then came back around. Um, so I took a round, and it was a beautiful morning. The streets were bustling. Some businesses were open, some were closed because of COVID, and some were boarded up. But you know what struck me as I was walking that part of the city in that neighborhood? I'll tell you how I felt. I felt very, very confident that the love of God for the people that inhabited this neighborhood was real. I had this great confidence that God loves these people, right? Right? From the owner of the million-dollar, I mean, they're they're all nameless people to me, but from the person who owns the million-dollar condo to the person who's pitching up their tent, God loves them. Quoting Dr. Jennings again, Disciples of Jesus must be convinced, right? Not only of God's love for the world in an abstract, disembodied way, in a theoretical way, it has to be more than just an idea but also God's desire for people, his longing for people, his longing for that neighborhood, and his active pursuit of these people, all people, especially peoples we have been taught not to desire, and maybe not just not desire, but not consider. Whether the emotion is hatred or apathy, neither of those function for God's mission in this world. God loves these people. And oh my, these people are strange and odd and different. They're not like me. They're not like you. The Spirit is drawing the people of God to people that are not like themselves. This is the work of our holy God to make things whole again, to bring the fragmented parts of our lives together to help us see that we need each other. And so in our scripture text, we meet Simon the sorcerer, a strange person, odd, different not like Philip. A couple of things that I find fascinating about the Simon story is that scripture doesn't even bat an eye at his sorcery, right? You get this sense that Luke is telling us, hey, even this magician is coming to see the power of God as it's bringing healing and restoration to broken people. The fact that he practices magic doesn't seem to be problematic for Luke. However, The tension arises when Simon offers money to try and obtain the power that he mistakenly thinks Peter and John can give. First of all, it's not for the apostles to give or to withhold. And if I didn't say that clearly earlier, let me try and say it again. The Holy Spirit is not something that leaders in the church get to dispense to whom they think is worthy it belongs to God and God generously gives his spirit to those who desire him. It is for those who want to have God fill their lives with his truth, with his holiness, and with his love. Secondly, talk about something money cannot buy. You know, the Beatles sang that song, can't buy me love, right? Cause you can't, you can't buy love. How much more the power of God, which is pure love, holy love. In fact, the reality is that money is too cheap. It's just not valuable enough. The cost is much higher. There is indeed a price, and that price is much higher than any dollar amount because our, the price is our lives. You cannot buy love. You can only offer yourself for it. Right? Right? You tracking with me here? You cannot buy love. You can only offer yourself for it. You cannot buy the Holy Spirit. You can only offer yourself to the living God realized in Christ Jesus and now manifested in the spirit that comes to dwell in his children. Too often does the church today get caught up fretting over other religious traditions and alternative spiritualities. Um, Recently, I've noticed in my conversation with young youngish, younger people, particularly those in their 20s arise in the interest around astrology. And I I don't know why, but like I have been, it's just, it's coming up in different uh, places that I'm engaging in. Astrology has been around for a long time. Uh, When I am even peripherally around these kinds of conversations, I recognize in my body how uncomfortable I feel. I don't put much stock into my horoscope, but when people that I have come to respect and value uh, their opinions start to have a serious conversation around astrology, I realize how quickly I am out of my depth. Also, if you're not having conversations or even aware that young people are having serious conversations about astrology, you maybe have not entered into Samaria yet. You know what I mean? And in the last 10 months, I have noticed this peak of serious inquiry into a spirituality or a tradition that I more or less have called bogus, Um, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) I feel the tension. And this feeling of being uncomfortable, rather than driving me to fear or some kind of dismissal, I'm actually really curious about why I'm so uncomfortable. It makes me wonder why I feel this way and where that comes from. I am not trying to endorse astrology. I'm not arguing that it is okay or that it's beneficial or that we as Christ followers should investigate it more. I'm simply asking myself why I feel so uncomfortable when other people are beginning to have these kinds of conversations around me. Right? I'm curious why it makes me so uncomfortable, yet the buying of people or the exchange of money for power in our everyday lives doesn't even phase me. Part of the problem with money is that it's normative, right? It's part of the fabric of the world that we have created. We use it to wield and gain power. We use it to gain social status. Money allows us to cushion our lives with pretty things, comfortable things. You can buy a lot of things with money, and you can desensitize your soul with material goods. It is an invisible power that we all have in varying degrees. That I'm more ill at ease with conversations around astrology but not as much around conversations of economics and finance is interesting to me. That Simon thought he could buy the power of the Holy Spirit or even the power to give the Holy Spirit is what's really offensive to Peter and John, and rightly so. Simony is the word coined for those who have within the church bought position and power. It's one thing to point to the church in the Middle Ages that did this unabashedly and say, that wasn't right. It's another thing to look at the church today and try and see where people within the church or even outside of the church try to buy the strength and power of the collective body of Christ. That's a whole other can of worms I'm not going to open today. But the simple of truth is this. The gift of God is not something we can barter for with paper or with gold. Or crypto, which is an electronic form of money. (laughs) There is no matter of this earth that God desires more than our flesh and our souls. Can I say that again? There is no matter of this earth that that God desires more than our flesh and our souls. The only way to receive the power of the Holy Spirit is to relent to the Spirit. In surrender to the kingdom, you can find life. In the footsteps of Jesus and in the example of Stephen and the proclamation of Philip, can the Spirit of God breathe new life and joy into our homes into our neighborhoods, and into our cities. At the end of that chapter, Peter and John basically rebuke Simon for thinking he could do such a thing. And I find what's hopeful at the end of that passage is, um, there's a lot of things hopeful, but what, what I find particularly hopeful is that they rebuke Simon, and Simon says to them, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said happens to me. I mean, and I feel like that's a bit of his repentance, a bit of his turning, right? The only thing that we can offer to God, that his spirit might come and dwell in our hearts and in our lives, and that spirit might then push us out into the Samarias of this world, into the Samarias of our city, whatever that might look like for you, Um, That the Spirit might scatter us all around this region, take us into places that um, are maybe familiar, but maybe also unfamiliar. The only thing that we can give is ourselves, right? And so we're going to go now to communion, and I'm going to invite you to find um, the common elements of your home, that if you have a little bit of juice or a little bit of water, yeah, and a little bit of bread or a cracker or something, part of why we, part of how we enter to, into this uh, practice, into this uh, sacrament, um, is that it reminds us that we are part of the body of Christ, Right? And that the work of the Spirit is not just breaking down the barriers, but is drawing us back together. That disciples of Jesus need to begin to realize that God desires the other, even those that we have not desired before. Jesus' example is, um, is that he gave his life for us. And on the night that he was betrayed by his closest followers, he took the bread And he broke it and he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God the Father. And then he said to his disciples, this is my body. It's been broken for you that you might have life. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God the Father, he said this is, He said to his disciples, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank God he continues to forgive our sins. And that grace is deep. Shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance of me and be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your goodness to us and your mercy. Wonderful, merciful Savior, that is who you are. You are the one we love and we adore. And at different points of our lives, we have come to a place of surrender, of saying, not my will, but yours be done. And maybe there are places in our lives that we need to continue to lay down uh, ways of thinking and being that um, have created barriers or walls between us and our neighbors, us and people who are not like us, people who you long for and you desire that they might have joy, that they might have life, that they might have healing, that they might be set free. And holy God, you have put that within us. We lay down our lives to you, Lord Jesus, because you have shown us how to do it. And then we see it again in Stephen, and we hear it again in Philip. And today, here, your church, we want to do it again. We want to lay down our lives, that your spirit may come in us, might direct our thoughts, might give us the words to preach, that you would lead our steps into places in this city, in our neighborhoods. Maybe it's just down the street. And you would help us to see anew the people that you long to embrace. As we come together as one body, may that be so. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.